0: Whoa, oh 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 Whoa, oh oh Whoa, oh oh Whoa, oh 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 His career has spanned way more than just, you know, his 20 plus years working drugs. 1979 is when he first put on a badge and first stepped into this arena. Jerry, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jason. Good to be with you.
0: You know, I'm so glad you're actually talking to you in person. We've done an article or two before, we've talked on the phone, we've we've pinged ideas back and forth, but there's such a such an issue. Issue is such a, a bad word for it, but there's an epidemic. An That's epidemic. Fair. Yeah, epidemic is fair. You know, growing up, you know, you and I both know. Um you probably got a couple years on me, but the war on drugs, the nineteen eighties the cocaine, the marijuana, everything flowing across the board, the border, the crack, the everything else. But now we're dealing with fentanyl and not just fentanyl. Now we're dealing with xylazine. Now, before we get into the, the fentanyl epidemic, the fentanyl scourge, let's get into xylazine because that's like something that's like, it's really staying under the radar, of the public perception right now, the public knowledge. What is
1: xylazine? Xylazine is a veterinary medication. It's a sedative used primarily on larger mammals, uh, horses, cattle, uh, uh, of that size, in a clinical setting to reduce uh, 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 not so much pain, but agitation uh, while being treated in, in a veterinary clinic. It's kind of comparable in some respects to a, a tranquilizer for uh, uh, humans in, in that regard. When you go in for, uh, I don't know, colonoscopy or whatnot, you know, you, the, you're getting some anesthesia, but you're also getting a sedative. And that's basically what xylazine is for animals and veterinary use. That said, what we're seeing happen is the, those veterinary medications are being diverted from uh, uh, its appropriate use to the illicit drug supply, largely in, a, uh, in conjunction with fentanyl, uh, but it had preceded fentanyl's arrival as well uh, here in Philadelphia. It goes back; it was detected in uh, a mortality as far back as 2006. So it's been around for a while. It's just exploded over the last four or five years uh, uh, from Philadelphia out. And now it's appearing in all parts of the United States.
0: Now, when we were talking before the email or anywhere else, you, was Puerto Rico in, in kind of into the space of the xylazine?
1: Yeah, we've you know, if you trace the history of it, there was always a uh, a certain level of of misuse, abuse, whatever term you want to use uh, of xylazine in Puerto Rico, uh, largely in the Agrarian parts of the, 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 the Commonwealth, there, uh, uh, middle of the island. Anastasia de caballos was called, you know, was uh, 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 used uh, as a recreational drug. Um, and it does have addictive properties. Uh, it does cause withdrawal if you've already developed a, a dependency, uh, if you stop using it. And with the migration of folks from Puerto Rico to Philadelphia metropolitan area, as well as New York and Providence and other you know, parts of the northeastern United States in particular. Some of the folks that had you know, xylosine dependencies and, and, and used it carried on, and we started to see it coming in in, in larger quantities.
0: When we talk about xylosine, we, we talk about the high, we talk about the withdrawals, we talk about the addictive pattern of it. When they're mixing with fentanyl, it extends the high? It, or can you that's consider the, it high? I've the, never the done that.
1: Yeah. That's the anecdotal uh, uh, information that we get, that a person who was accustomed to using heroin, for instance, uh, uh, had a fairly large initial bump from the, the, the heroin's effects after injecting it or snorting it, and then a long tail, if you want to call it, on uh, uh, the, the buzz Physiological and, and, and psychological effects of it, you know, lasted a, a fairly good period of time, four to six hours, something along those lines, they say. So when the market switched from heroin to fentanyl, and there's a whole, you know, I guess you would say line of discussion there of what happened with that. But when it did switch to fentanyl largely, what they found was fentanyl had a very high peak right after injection but then went down rather rapidly, kind of like you know you get on one of the roller coasters at one of the theme parks. You get that climb up to the top, and it's at the very top, and you go, whoo down the hill, and then it's rolling around for a little while. Well, the rollout wasn't very much, and so people had to re-inject or re-ingest uh, 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 fentanyl more frequently than they did with uh, um, heroin. Someone came up with the idea of adding Sedative to it, and there's always been a degree of uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, poly substance use of you know, heroin and, and benzodiazepines, tranquilizers, Xanax, in the past uh, because of restrictions on uh, uh, dispensing benzos. Now, similar to you know, uh, opiate pills, opioid pills, it became harder to get that. So, someone came up with the idea of using uh, xylazine to adulterate the fentanyl, to get that longer tail of effect.
0: Narcan. Mm. Yeah, Narcan helps with the fentanyl overdoses, with, with the opioids. But now you're adding in xylazine. And you're a street cop, and you're out there, and you're like, okay, you encounter someone ODing, and you're administering Narcan. And for everybody that doesn't know what Narcan, what is Narcan?
1: Narcan is the brand name of Naloxone. It's an opioid antagonist. It reverses. The effects of an opioid of any sort, whether that's you know uh, a, a prescribed pill or uh, a medically administered anesthet- uh, anesthesia, or street drug use you know, uh, such as uh, codeine, uh, hydrocodone, um, heroin, fentanyl, or any of the fentanyl-related uh, substances, um, it will unbind uh, uh, the opioid molecules from the brain receptor and kind of block their effect from occurring. And that's important because in the course of an overdose, uh, a person will stop breathing. It is a central nervous system, you know, the present uh, people will stop breathing, the heart rates will go down, and they could be, you know, uh, very quickly uh, succumb to it unless it's reversed. And that's what, you know, the, the rescue drug naloxone or Narcan uh, is used for.
0: So then when you throw a xylazine on there, which isn't an opioid, it's a tranquilizer, you can't really just shoot someone up with, hey, here's some Narcan, boom.
1: It has, it has no effect whatsoever on the xylazine. So what you'll have, if it's a polydrug combination of fentanyl and xylazine, let's say, uh, you'll have somebody who is breathing again, but completely out of it. You know, unconscious, uh, unable to be woken and so forth. And when they feel the effects, if they're, you know, very much opioid dependent, they're going to be suffering from opioid withdrawal because naloxone does bring on a sudden withdrawal symptom, uh, uh set, including, you know, kind of, you know, body aches and, and vomiting and, uh, uh all, all sorts of uh, uh, discomfort, if you will, because they're in this somnolent state from the tranquilizer it won't be as apparent. It also will not enable a first responder, whether it's a police officer or EMS person, you know, to get the person up and on the way. In some respects, that's good uh, because maybe we can get them to a hospital and maybe we can get them you know, in a warm handoff situation into a treatment uh, regime. But in other respects, it, it creates a problem when you're dealing with citizen rescuers, you know, people who carry Narcan for all the right reasons, and they try to revive somebody, and it doesn't work. What's the next step? Well, you may have to provide CPR. You may have to provide, you know, rescue breathing. You may, you, know, you still need to get some sort of medical attention.
0: Now, when we think about xylazine too, I've heard about the flesh-eating mm. part of it. I mean, when you have fent- fentanyl, is, it's horrible in itself. Yep. It's killing. I mean, it's absolutely killing. Everywhere in this country, people are dying from it. It's like, and you know it. The potential of mass death with it is—it's pretty significant. But now we're—we're we're adding on another. When you say the poly drug, we're adding something in there that's actually making people, kind of rip their skin off. I mean, how, what is the flesh eating part of
1: this? Flesh eating is probably a little A little, a little yeah, a little uh, yeah, hysterical in some respects. But injected, injectable drug users that are using you know, a, a poly combination that includes xylosine, they've been found to develop necrotizing skin wounds, meaning, you know, that the, the skin is literally dying through all its various layers, and open sores, you know, are, are prevalent. To the point where, I mean, it literally gets, if it's not treated, flesh is falling off of people. Um, the, there's been... You know i i guess any number of you know uh, uh illustrations of this in, in media of various sorts but it really is shocking when you see someone who's continuously injecting this right at the same spot that their you know skin is coming off um there's from what i gather from you know, the medical community it's not clear why the xylazine does this whether it is the, the the drug itself, the, the toxin, the drug itself, if you will, or whether it's because it represses blood circulation. So much like the way a diabetic may have problems with extremities, you know, due to lack of blood flow to them and may need amputation. So they think that's a possibility. But the, the bottom line is without care, without being treated, that person is in danger of developing gangrene and mortal uh, effects. What I like to say about xylazine, it's the drug that you know literally risks both life and limb.
0: That's a big thing I always bring up telling people about it when it's not just the death part. It's the loss of limb. It's the loss of sight. It's the loss of a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Now, Philly's been referred to as like the ground zero, yeah. the ground zero of the xylazine. Now, you work for high-intensity drug trafficking area, yeah. that, which means there's a lot of these different task forces throughout the country and you have a pretty great information sharing capability within the federal and local and state levels in law enforcement and in the medical community has have you seen the xylazine spreading out from the Philly area
1: oh absolutely uh, in fact you know there's a really good illustration that uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Public Health shows over a 5 year period of how xylazine detections and what, and xylazine related deaths moved from southeastern Pennsylvania, specifically Philadelphia, back in, say, 2015 or 16, and then county by county starts blossoming outward across the commonwealth until um, the point, I guess it was 2022 22 data, uh, showed that all but two or three counties uh, in Pennsylvania had some xylosine-related fatality.
0: Now, xylosine is not scheduled, or is it?
1: It is and it isn't. It is not scheduled at the federal level. And that's been one of the challenges for those of us in law enforcement in terms of addressing the problem to this point. It is at least in three states and maybe four now, uh, because I just saw that Delaware may have come aboard this. It is now a Schedule Three drug in uh, Pennsylvania, Florida. Uh, What's well, the third state? I can't think of the third state. But you know, nonetheless, you know, it, it is just now getting the attention of state legislatures and state uh, uh, drug control authorities. To have this schedule. A lot of carve outs in that space is a schedule three drug. First of all, it's not as tightly regulated as, say, a schedule one or two drug is concerned, but it does allow veterinary clinics and such to protect their supply of it in a much larger and a much more secure uh, 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 storage space. It does require registration of uh, uh, the uh, suppliers and registration of the consumers, the, 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 the legitimate consumers uh, of pharmaceutical xylosine. And it does allow law enforcement to get a foot in the door if they find you know, evidence of xylazine diversion or uh, uh, um, trafficking in, in the uh, uh, street market, the illicit market, to enforce against that. All that said, it's by no means a panacea. Um, Because as we know, um, where you press uh, in on one part of this balloon, it pops out at another end. So already there's at least some indication that the legitimate pharmaceutical supplies that are being diverted, the tightening on that is resulting in illicit clandestine manufacture of xylazine in China. China, go
0: figure. We're talking about scheduled drugs. Cocaine is what? A schedule...
1: Schedule 2, believe it or not. Schedule. Really? Yeah, because there are legitimate, oh, there's legitimate uses? uses for cocaine.
0: What doesn't have a legitimate use?
1: Well, mar- marijuana, according to the federal hey, government.
0: Whoa. Hey, right? I, <laughs> we'll talk about um, that another day. But
1: that's a, that's a whole other topic area. Heroin, uh, diacetylmorphine, is not uh, uh, a legitimate you know, uh, medical use. It has a high potential for abuse, uh, and it's determined to be you know, uh, of danger to the public. So that's, you know, what constitutes a schedule 1 drug. Schedule 2s are those that have legitimate medical uses but also have a high propensity for misuse or abuse. So that's the distinction between the two. Methamphetamine, schedule 1. Um, amphetamine, schedule 2. Actually some amphetamines are even lower, schedule 3 and so forth like Adderall and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know. So so it depends on the if you want to call it the established medical utility of the substance, as well as the propensity for it to be misused or abused.
0: Xylazine sucks. It's horrible. It's probably going to be one of the worst things out there. Uh, but the the main concept is it's it's being attached to fentanyl. Mm. So in order to understand the whole system, we really have to understand fentanyl.
1: You have to understand uh, the whole opioid. Yeah crisis and all that goes with it and the evolution of it. I mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, we're somewheres around opioid crisis version 3.5 now. Some people say 4, some people say 3, but we're somewhere in that range. Uh, and again, this goes back to poly polysubstance you know, uh, consumption, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, fentanyl and thalazine, or whether it's fentanyl and methamphetamine, or, you know, uh, fentanyl and PCP or, or what have you, uh, but you know there, there's a lot of onboarding of multiple substances, either intentionally or innocuously to the person who's using it, that is, you know, adding to the problem, pounding the issues, and to the point of fentanyl and xylazine you made earlier. Fentanyl kills quickly. If you are opioid in, you know, naive, as they say, opioid naive, not. It don't have any tolerance uh, for it. A few grains of fentanyl can kill you right there. And when we initially saw fentanyl hit the scene, we were seeing people dead right there, as they say, with needles in their arms. It, as soon as it hit their, you know, their 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 brains, it shut it down. Their breathing, it shut down. Their their their, their blood uh, uh, pressure, it shut down. Their heart rate, and they were dead right there. Um, Xylazine won't do that, at least as far as I know. Uh, But over a longer period of time, it will take your life because of the necrotizing skin wounds, the uh, effects it's having on circulation, and things like that. That's, you know, so much like other substances of abuse, methamphetamine, uh, cocaine, it takes a while for those to usually take someone out unless there's an underlying medical condition that that would be aggravated by the substance.
0: Fentanyl, let's talk about it. Let's talk about, we know it's here. We're we're in Philadelphia. We're going to go down and we're going to take a look at some of the areas affected by Mm -hmm. fentanyl. But the thing is the origination of it. I mean, legitimate medical uses, perhaps, but we're talking... When you have such a supply and demand area, you have to have mass supply. You have to have precursors. You have to have additives. You have to have all this stuff. And so much of everybody always points their finger, boom, right to China. Everything goes back to China. So is that kind of what we're looking about with the flow of, you know, everything you need China to Mexico to the U.S.? Or do we have domestic based or let's just get really basic.
1: Well, I can't say that there's been no domestic fentanyl production. There has been, and we found one up in northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, around Bucknell University area, um, a few years back. But it's a rarity to find uh, that uh, domestic production of fentanyl. It can be done. It's not a terribly complicated process, but it's just not cost effective because of all the controls domestically on the precursor substances needed to manufacture it. For Mexico, though, um, they had pretty good capacity for producing synthetic substances. Uh, The methamphetamine, uh, 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 crystal meth production facilities were pretty extensive. And going back to, I guess it was 2005, A cartel operative uh, who was employed to produce meth wanted to screw around a little bit. And in this lab in Toluca, Mexico, just outside Mexico City, um, made some fentanyl. He made maybe 10 kilograms of it and showed his bosses. and The bosses weren't exactly thrilled because they were like, what am I going to do with this? You know, this is not we, we wanted you to make it. He says, Wait, let's try this. Let's see. And they moved those 10 kilograms into the United States in places like Chicago, Detroit, Philly, places that have an appetite at that time for heroin. And it went through these communities like, uh, I don't know what, you know, uh, uh, the, the the Grim Reaper. It was killing people extensively from 2005 to two thousand and seven. With the help of the Mexican authorities, the Drug Enforcement Administration was able to identify where this lab was, they shut it down. But the lesson learned for the Mexican cartels was hmm, we can produce something that's got a market in the United States that doesn't require us to grow poppies in the mountains and pay peasant workers to harvest them and then go through all the the, the processing of those uh, uh, opium pods and things like that to produce heroin, we can do this stuff in a lab with some chemicals, with our own chemists. And so we think, and this is all speculative, you know, we think that's how today's fentanyl crisis was born. And because it is dependent on precursor chemicals, those chemicals are controlled, regulated, I guess is a better word, than controlled. But regulated substances, that can't be just you know, uh, uh, you know uh, going go to your local uh, uh, chemical supply house and get it. Because of that, a lot of times the, the the easier route is to go to shady, if not illegal, operations out of China to ship the uh, uh, precursor chemicals to Mexico, and then, then from there have it refined into uh, fentanyl, and then brought it.
0: States. Now, are we talking pill form, powder form? What is fentanyl? I mean, like, let's, um, and I'm, you know, coming from the military background, mm. I say dumb it down to the private level <laughs> so they, they understand exactly. I want the public yeah. to understand, like, yeah. what are we looking at? I mean, because the, the, when you look on the news, you're looking at pills. Yeah. But are we using powder form? We're using, I mean, how do you ingest it? Is it injectable? I mean, really basic. Yeah.
1: In the first mm. few years, Uh, Of the fentanyl crisis, if you will. So, roughly 2015 forward, you know, uh, to about 2020, let's say. It was almost always seen in powder form, in crystalline form, you know, fentanyl hydrochloride, basically. Um, And it was an injectable drug, but it could also be inhaled, insulfated, you know, uh, uh, and, and, you know, self administered that way as well. But for the most part, people were injecting it instead of heroin, uh, or because they didn't have any choice uh, uh, of heroin that was what was available that fixed their you know, uh, uh, opioid dependency cravings. Um, but around you know the, the, the late twenty teens, and we started to see fentanyl being pressed into counterfeit oxycodone tablets. Oxycodone, of course, was the, the drug of choice that really fueled a lot of the opioid crises around the country, particularly in, in areas that had not seen heroin uh, uh, being uh, available. So places like Appalachia and, and rural communities, pills were readily available in a lot of those those places from doctors, some legitimate prescriptions, some just, you know, pill mills, basically. The Mexicans recognized that they could press this into a pill form and mimic and sell it for a lot cheaper than they, they could obtain legitimate you know, oxies. So that's what they did. And of course, there was irregularities in you know, the, the, the potencies, the, the, the uniformity, if you will, uh, uh, of uh, dosage titration um, varied greatly uh, and had a boatload of overdoses from that. Since then, they've kind of also recognized that in some respects, it's easier to market the pills um, to particularly young people. Uh, It's also somewhat easier to transport the pills rather than in powder form um, and break them up. So you'll see continuously reports from the southwest border of 20,000, 100,000, 300,000 pills being seized uh, at a shot which are then going to some stash house that are then going to be broken down into 10,000 pill units that are going to be broken down into 1,000 pill units for distribution at the retail level.
0: So we have pill machines coming in from China. Yeah. I've, one of my friends uh, works for a Transnational Crime for Homeland Security Investigations and testifying in front of Congress about how these pill machines are getting the... You're pretty much one-stop shop in Mexico. You get the machines, you get the precursors, you get everything. You get the
1: dyes, you get the, everything. the binding ing- ingredients and so forth. You can get it all. And for that matter, although it's, again, con- regulated, um, you can go online right now and look up a, you know, pill press machine. And, uh, you can probably find it on Amazon. Um, obtaining it, you have to show you that you registered with the Drug Enforcement Administration and so on and so on, but if you're doing this clandestinely, well, obviously you're going to do it through some other channel, and oftentimes that means, you know, a, a a black market operation is getting all of it. Might be from Mexico, might be from Canada, might be from the United States.
0: We have a pipeline coming to the U.S. from all different facets. You have air, land, sea. It's like a military operation. Don't forget mail. Mail.
1: Yep. And parcel, commercial, yeah. uh, parcel, express. Yep.
0: Everywhere. There's, like the cartels have been doing this game for 40, 50 years.
1: Logistics.
0: Logistic, yeah, exactly. As federal agents, you know, and I'm retired, we know you come and go. You come and go. Your knowledge base comes and goes, and you're continuously learning. The cartel has it down to a science. It's familial born now, it seems. But you're also seeing different people getting into the game. We know that drugs come across the border. We know they get here. It's a supply and demand. But are we seeing violent, more violent upticks here? People trying to control more of the market? People coming from outside of the cartel areas? Or is it just basically still the cartels running the show?
1: I can't say that at, from this perch here that we're seeing um, higher level cartel operatives Waging war with one another for you know, uh, some share of market. Where we see violence is usually at the retail level, maybe at the mid-level supply level. Oftentimes, it's a robbery kind of set of situation that goes badly, um, trying to steal somebody else's stash or cash. Um, but we're not seeing the same kind of intercartel violence that is occurring in Mexico. And in some southwest border communities. Down on the border, southwest uh, border uh, region, it's a whole different ballgame. you got a lot of different things going on down there, including the migration wave and so forth that are just making it really impossible for law enforcement.
0: Two more things. (coughs) Everybody says there's enough fentanyl to kill 1.4 million people on this load. Or, you know, the the overdramatic. Uh, dramatization of it, but what is the reality of the weaponization of fentanyl in your perspective?
1: I said this all the way back in So Actually, I can't take credit for a, a colleague from DEA who an intel guy who was the first one who said it to me, but I've been saying it ever since. I mean, This is chemical warfare um, on a low-level scale. Uh, and uh, it's been waged very carefully, I guess, so as not to create a huge response from Washington. Uh, uh, but it is now quite evident as we lose 110,000 people